we'll just read maybe a couple verses and uh, go for the interest of time. First Chronicles 17, verse 1. Now it came to pass as David sat in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in an house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Then, said, then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. Maybe that's what we'll read, and we'll look on down in this as the Lord would lead. But here's David, the, the king of Israel, and he has built him a house, a place for him and his family to dwell. And you know, having thought here about God, God's tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the dwelling place of God, and the truth is there's not a lot of thought for God any longer in our world. But David had a heart that said, you know, here's God. He's, he's dwelling in a tent and in a tabernacle, and here I am in a house of cedar. I'd like to build a place for the Lord to dwell. He had a desire in his heart that God would have a place for him to dwell. And certainly, nothing wrong with that desire. A noble desire and a noble want, uh, and a godly one, I would say, that he would even take thought for God. But this, this was not the plan of God. Nathan the prophet, he said, David, you just do however you please. But the word of the Lord came in the same night to Nathan, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. So the word of God comes to Nathan, and Nathan, no doubt, David had been a great man of God, won many great victories, led God's people as uh, God would have it, and God had wrought many mighty works through him. And here he is wanting to build God a house, and Nathan said, you just go ahead and do what's on your heart. The Lord's with you, and the Lord's blessed you, but God's going to come now and, and bring correction to this and say, uh, you, you go back and tell David that he's not to build me a house. Uh, and, and notice the way it says right here, For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day. So it would look like now that as they came from Egypt and they came into the wilderness, and there they, they built the tabernacle, they uh, constructed the Ark of the Covenant, and the candlesticks, and the altars, and all of these things, it looked like Israel was carrying God. It looked like if God was going to get anywhere in the wilderness, it looked like if God was going to get into Canaan's land, that Israel was going to have to carry them there. But God says, I brought them up. And you know, we could look at what God wrought down in Egypt there, the power of God that overcame Pharaoh. Pharaoh, a man of great authority, a man of great power, a man over maybe the greatest nation that there was in that day with riches and armies, and God overran him with a weak people 
that he thought nothing of. They didn't use weapons of warfare. They didn't go to battle against him. But God destroyed Egypt with his own power and brought Israel out of there. And Israel had wandered in the wilderness 40 years because of unbelief. But God had brought them into Canaan. He had given them the land. He ran out the enemies. And Israel was where they were because of God and His power. And it was not man that had got God to where He was. We've not brought God anywhere. But David's going to find out it's exactly the opposite. David, I've not dwelt in a house. I've not had me a permanent place. I've dwelt in a tent. And I believe there was a reason for that. You know, the Lord Jesus, He wasn't going to come in a grand house. He wasn't going to come the son of a king. He wasn't going to come the offspring of Caesar. He wasn't going to come being one of the great philosophers or educated men. He was going to be born the son of a carpenter. There was going to be no beauty that we would desire Him. He was not going to be some magnificent speaker. He was going to be a man that would be despised and rejected of men. He was that when He was on the earth. He's that today. His Word, His Spirit, His church is despised and rejected by men today. He's still that. So God's dwelling in a tent uh, with the outside of it being skins of animals. And you know to the outside looking at that tabernacle that just didn't look like very much. And as the enemies of Israel through the years would look they said why well, our God is just as mighty as their God. Our gods are going to overrun them. It was Rabshakeh and uh, Sennacherib maybe. I don't know, that king may not be right and I apologize if it's not. But Rabshakeh brought message and he said to Hezekiah, you listen, we've run over every nation that there's been that stood before us. We've wanted to take them and we've took them and you're not going to be any different. Your God's no different than their God's. Your temple's no different than their temple. Your worship's no different and we're going to come and run over you just like we have everybody else. Now the devil's thought that many times. The devil's thought we're just going to run over God. We're going to have our way with God and what we want is what's going to be wrought out. But God brought great destruction. 185,000 in one night would die at the hands of an angel. Man's not going to get God anywhere. God is where He is by His choice and by His direction. God's certainly in control of all things. Since I brought up Israel unto this day, Israel was where they were because God had brought them there. And today, you and I, saved or lost, no matter what our condition is, God's allowed us to be where we are today. He's brought us thus far. I mean, He's certainly not killed us, and certainly that is within His power. He could have killed us, everyone, before we ever had opportunity to come to any understanding of God. But you know, you may think you're in control. Pilate looked at the Lord Jesus there when he was on trial and he said, Don't you know that I've got the power? I can set you free and let you go or I can deliver you to the cross and have you crucified. And the Lord Jesus said, You've got no power at all except the Lord has given you that power. What little authority you've got, what little clout that you've got in this world, what little power and ability that you've God, what little mind and understanding that we've got today, we've got because God has allowed us to have that. And in a moment, in a moment that could be taken from us. So I 
brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wheresoever I have walked with Israel, spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedars? God had never directed anybody to build him a house. God wasn't interested in a house. God doesn't need a house. Just a couple chapters back, David's going to perceive that God's established his kingdom and Hiram and the king's eleven and they're going to send cedars and carpenters to build David a house. You know, David being established as king and being established on the throne, David's going to build him a house and a place for him to dwell. What an honor it is to have our own dwelling and a place that we've been able to build and hear God saying, I've not asked for a house. I don't need a dwelling. Don't need a natural temple. I've lived and I've lived in a tent because that was my choice. And that was my direction. Now therefore, thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with thee whithersoever thou hast walked, and have cut off all thine enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name like the name of great men that are in the earth. So now, God's going to remind David of where David came from, what David was, and where David was at when God came to him. You know, it'd be real easy for David, a man that we can look, you can look in chapter 18, just read down through there a little, and you can look back in the previous chapters at how many armies David had defeated, how many enemies that David had overcome. And I believe it's in this book of First Chronicles that the Bible says when God had delivered David from all of his enemies. God wrought great victory through this man David. It would be awful easy for the man to say, well, look look at the power that I've got in my hands. Nebuchadnezzar said that one day. The prophet had warned him and said, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, it's not of you that's done this. It's God that's give you this. Don't allow yourself to be raised up in pride. And Nebuchadnezzar stepped out one day. And you know, uh, just amazing. You ought to read the history. They say in Babylon that every brick of that city was stamped with Nebuchadnezzar's name and his image on it. That every place you looked, you saw this man's glory and you saw a symbol of this man's power. He stepped out one day and said, it's not this Babylon that I have built. And God brought him down. And God didn't just bring him down to the prison. He didn't bring him down to the hospital. And He didn't bring him down to the nursing home. But he put that man out in the field with the manure of the cattle eating grass like an oxen with his fingernails and his toenails growing out. I'm telling you where we are today. We're there because God has given us the grace to be there. But God says, David, I took you from the sheep coat. You were out there not... I love the way things are worded. He's not leading the sheep. The Bible says even from following the sheep. You know what David did? He followed, it wasn't even his flock. It's his daddy's flock. And he followed his sheep around, watching over them and protecting them as they wandered in the wilderness. And God says, 
If it hadn't been for me, you'd still be out there in the sheep coat and you'd have never been a king. But you know, God saw David out there and God chose that man. Tell you what God's going to do. He's going to do a work that there'll be no glory for mankind whatsoever in it. David, had David been a great military mind, had David been like Saul, head and shoulders above the rest, had David been like his older brothers, men of war and warriors in combat, had he been some great general taught underneath the hands of mighty men, they, the world would have looked at him and said, look at David, he's got what he's got because he's so strong. He's got what he's got because he's big. He's got what he's got because he's got a great mind for battle. But you know, nobody said that about David. David got what, got what he God because God had called him and because God had subdued his enemies. All of the glory redounded unto God. I took thee from the sheep coat, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel. Now you think about who God calls now. God called Abraham. Abraham was an Ur of the Chaldees and his family were idol worshippers. God called that man out of that place. You come on up in Kings, and Elisha was a man that was out plowing in the field with oxen, and God called that man, not just to be some little prophet, but to be the man that's going to follow in the footsteps of the greatest prophet that had been to that day, and he was going to have a double portion of what Elijah had. And God came to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And he didn't go to the Sanhedrin court. He didn't go down to the Levites and to the priests at the temple. He went down to the sea where the ignorant and the unlearned, the men that didn't go to school, the men that didn't have great riches, the men that went out all night long and fished, and that had filthy mouths and that were ungodly, it was those men that He called. And He went down to the publicans. He went down to the receipt of custom down there where the tax collectors were. And it was Levi that He called. He called men that had no glory for themselves that He would be exalted. And that's exactly what happened. As they saw James and John and Peter, they said these men are ignorant and they're unlearned men. They don't know anything. They're not able to communicate. They don't have the education. And you can see it. But boy, there's something about them. They took note of them. That they had been with Jesus. You know who got the glory? The Lord got the glory. And here, the Lord says, David, if it hadn't been for me, you would have never been anything. If it hadn't been for me, Israel would still be down in Egypt. If it hadn't been for me, Pharaoh would have destroyed Israel. If it hadn't been for me, Saul would have run Israel into the ground and that would have been the end of it. But I've brought us where we are and David, not just Israel, but I've brought you where you are today. You believe that? You believe God's got that kind of control? What kind of control does God have? Absolute. I believe that. I believe we can see it right here. I brought thee from the sheep coat, from following sheep, the most ignorant and foolish animals that they are, 
animals that go out on their own and get lost. David was out following them around and he went from following his father's sheep to being the captain of the host of Israel. How did that happen? God called him. That's all that happened. You think about Elisha. That's just a beautiful story. How did Elisha get called? Was there thunder from heaven? Was there fire? Was there an earthquake? The man of God passed by and cast a mantle on him and God working in his heart, he knew what that meant. Now, I wouldn't know what that meant. Elijah never said, Call, come and follow me. He didn't. He never said a word. And when Elisha ran after him, Elijah said, What have I done to you? There was a working in the inward man. God calling and God working and God drawing. Man may think today he's in control and he'll do as he pleases. I'm afraid you're wrong. God is doing as he pleases today. And he may let you have some power. He may let you make some decisions. He may let you destroy yourself. He let Pharaoh destroy himself. Pharaoh came to the Red Sea and it parted and stacked on either side watching the children of Israel go right down the middle. I mean, imagine that here's the sea and here's a wall of water and here's a wall of water and he's looking down through the middle of the sea. And he says, I'm going in there after them. God let him make that decision and God killed him right there. God took the throne from Pharaoh And God gave the throne to Pharaoh. I have called thee, and I've been with thee, whithersoever thou hast walked. David, everywhere you've went, I've been with you. Everywhere you've went, I've protected you. Every battle you've been in, I've fought with you. Every victory you've had, it was because my hand was guiding and leading I have been with thee and have cut off all thine enemies from before thee and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Now you just go home and you look up from a source that's unbiased the greatest kings of the ancient world. You'll see Cyrus. You'll see Caesar, Julius Caesar. You're going to see Nebuchadnezzar's name on that list. You may see a couple of pharaohs on that list. But if they're unbiased and fair, you know whose name's going to be amongst that? This little bitty, ruddy, shepherd watcher. He's going to be amongst the greatest kings who had the greatest authority and the greatest power and wrought the greatest victories. His name is going to be amongst the great names of the world. And how did that happen? God gave him that name. And so, I will ordain a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they shall dwell in their place and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more as at the beginning. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee in house. Notice who's doing everything here. He doesn't say, David, you need to do this. And David, you need to do that. 
And David, you need to whoop some more bad guys. And you need to take out some more of these nations. And you need to go out and fight a little harder. God says, you listen to me, David. I'm going to pick a place for my people to live. I'm going to plant them in that place. And the enemy will not move them. Now I know, I know a lot of people in our world thinks everything's literal, everything's natural, and everything's carnal. And they think these promises are to a natural nation, a natural world, and to a natural seed of David. But now listen to this. They shall dwell in their place and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them in the more anymore as at the beginning. God's going to set His people in a place that the enemy will not get to them any longer. Now, is He talking about Israel, the country? Or is He talking about Israel, the people of God? He said, uh, he said in Galatians, that they that be of faith are children of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. So God here looking down through the history of time sees a people that He's going to redeem, that He's going to pluck as David out of the sheep coat, a people that He's going to save and that He's going to plant them and the enemy will never get there to them anymore. Now I realize in the flesh, in the flesh the enemy can get to me. In the flesh I can get aggravated. In the flesh, I can get upset. In the flesh, I can have my feelings hurt. But you know, as mean as people can be, and as hard as people can be towards a person, as cruel as they can be to your family, you know what, in in here, there's never been anybody shook what the Lord gave me. My salvation has never been shaken. It's never been taken from me. The peace that He gave me down in the depths of my soul has never been moved. you know why that is? Because God established it. And men, Peter could say, Peter could say, I'm going where the Lord said I was going to go. They're going to carry me where I don't want to be and they're going to take my life from me. And Paul could say, Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. And they could say that with peace. Why, the enemy got to them. Oh no. No, they were about to get promoted. They were glad in their eyes. And so I will ordain a place for my people and will plant them and they shall dwell in their place and shall be moved no more. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies... Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee an house. David, I'm going to build you a house. Now, where is the house of David today? If you're going to look at it natural, you're going to have a hard time interpreting and explaining these verses. Peter says in the book of Acts that David's dead. David's still in the grave. And today, David is still in the grave. And I don't know who David's descendants are, and I don't believe you'll find anybody that knows who David's descendants are today. Thank God, this is not a natural promise to the natural seed of Israel. But listen, 
It shall come to pass when thy days be expired, thou must go be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Now people say, well, he's talking about Solomon here, and he, he may be, and I could see the natural implication to it, but now Solomon's kingdom ain't going to last forever. As a matter of fact, Solomon's son Rehoboam is going to lose 10 out of 12 tribes of Israel. They're going to defect and rebel against his kingdom. This ain't, this ain't Solomon that God's prophesying to David about. This is in the book of Matthew, chapter number 1. Now this is the first book of the New Testament, and this is the first verse of the New Testament. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Jesus Christ, and we could look, there's other places as well. We know that blind Bartimaeus, he cries out, Jesus, thou son of David. It was known who he was, and it was known the lineage, and we're going to have the lineage laid out right here in Matthew. And you can look in Luke, and you can see the same lineage. He came from David, and he's the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David. And so he says... When thy days be expired, thou must go be with thy fathers. David, you're going to die. This is not going to happen in your lifetime. Same thing was said to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. They all died and did not inherit the promise. But they wandered in tents as strangers and pilgrims on the earth, and they testified. I believe the Bible says of Abraham, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Now David built Jerusalem, and David built Bethlehem, but they're looking for a city that man did not lay the foundation of, and man didn't construct the buildings. They're looking for something that God constructed, and a work that God did. Well, that's what he's saying here. David, I'm going to establish your house. I have chosen you and your seed to be the lineage that my son is going to be born in, and could God not have chosen any seed on the face of the earth for Jesus to be born in? Could God not have chosen any man in Abraham and fulfilled His purpose in them as well? Could He not? Could He not have called other men in Jesus' day to be apostles? and changed them and made them into what He wanted them to be as well? But God chose. And God said, David, I've chose to honor you. You're not going to honor me with a house, David. I'm doing a work that you've got no part in. I'm doing a work that your hand is not going to touch. I'm doing a work that, that you and Israel and your sons, they've got nothing to do with it. I'm going to bring a Savior and I'm going to build a people that's redeemed out of the face of the earth. His kingdom's going to be established. After, your, after you die, and I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his singular kingdom. Now Solomon's kingdom, Solomon died, and he let go of the kingdom. The kingdom split when Solomon died. And in just a few years, the northern ten tribes, the kingdom of Israel, they're going to be carried away captive, and you don't read of them again. Not in the Old Testament, 
nor in the new. And the kingdom of Judah and the two tribes and the Levites that were left there, they're going to be carried to Babylon and only a remnant's going to come back out of that place. But God's preserving, God's keeping, God's directing to the true King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will establish His kingdom. And He shall build me in house, and I will establish His throne forever. I realize Solomon built a house. Solomon built a temple. It was overlain with gold. No doubt one of the most magnificent buildings that's ever been on the face of the earth. But Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. They're going to come back out of Babylon now. And Ezra and Nehemiah and those of the remnant, they're going to build another house. They wept because it didn't look like Solomon's. But God said, I'm going to be there just like I was Solomon's. But you know, that that temple got destroyed as well. And there may have been one more according to history that was built and destroyed. And then in Jesus' day, there's a temple that Herod built there with stones that were so great the apostles were amazed at the size of them. And the Lord said, there's not one stone here that's going to be left upon another. And in 70 AD, that was fulfilled and Herod's temple was destroyed. And the Bible says that the Romans came and they burned everything in it up. They tore the stones down and they took plows and plowed the ground up and there was no sign that there was a temple ever built there. All they've got today is one wall that they call the Wailing Wall where they go and cry and put their prayers. God destroyed that temple. That was not what God was speaking about. But this son of David, the son of God, the son of Abraham, the son of man, he's going to come and build God a house and his throne is going to be established forever. So the Bible says over in the book of Philippians, speaking about the Lord Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 9. Wherefore God also highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's not going to be anybody now. As great a man as David was, there's nobody today bowing down and worshiping David and talking about how great a fellow that he was. Back through history, there's been many great men. There's been great men in this country that God has allowed to win great victories that we could have what we have today. Nobody's honoring them anymore either. They're dead and gone. But the Lord Jesus... His throne's established forever. His dominion is into the everlasting. And do you know who's going to bow down to this man, Jesus? God set him, not man. God set him in authority. God set him over all things. God gave him a name that's above every name. God established him as being the head of all things and the judge of all. And God said... Everybody is going to bow to my son and everybody is going to confess that he's the Lord. And we say, I'm not bowing today. You may not today, but you will bow to the Lord and you'll give him the honor that he's worthy. Not because I said it. I don't care if you do what I say or not. But God said you would. 
Now, who do, who do I believe? You or God? You who before the sun rises in the morning could be in a hospital bed and never speak another word or God that sitteth and ruleth o'er everything. Who should we believe? Who should we have faith in? I tell you, the Lord said, I'm going to establish His throne forever and He will be the supreme authority. And in the end, when all things are brought to a close, the earth and all that's therein is burned up, and man stands before God, do you know who's going to be the judge of all? That man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's going to cause the division in that day between the sheep and the goats? That man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know who's going to get glory from them that are saved and that have bowed to Him in this world? The church, those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those that rejected, and those pilots, and those uh, pharaohs, and those rich men, and those mighty men that said, I'm never going to bow to the Lord Jesus. They're going to bow to Him in that day and said, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus, thou son of David. There'll be no mercy in that day. Now, the rich man did. The rich man did. He said, just one drop, one drop of water, begging for compassion. Was there any compassion? There was none. Was there any mercy? There was no mercy. There was no forgiveness. There was no redemption. He was cut off. We won't stand before this king and survive. And so, I will establish his kingdom and he shall build me a house. So what kind of a house did he build? We've got a natural house here that we meet in. There's one over on Spring Creek that we go to. Went to one in Cherokee this morning. And they all look different. They're all nice. But that's not the house that God was talking about. And he's not interested in the United States taking their money and building him a building. He's not interested in the world taking up a collection and building him a building. What God's talking about is a house for him to dwell in as he says in the book of Ephesians. This is what he was coming to do. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That word house... Now when we hear that today, I believe we think of a building, a structure for us to live in. But that's not all that that word means. You're going to read in the Old Testament about the house of Moses, the house of David, the house of Joshua. And what he's referring to a lot of times is not a building that these men lived in, but the seed that came after them. They were talking about their family. 
their offspring, their wives and their children. That's what God was speaking of there. And here He says, I'm going to build me a house. I'm going to have me a place to dwell. And it's not going to be built with stones. It's not going to be built with gold. It's not going to come with cedars from Lebanon. It's not going to be built with diamonds and fine things of this world. I'm going to take stones that are men and women out of the sheep coat, out of the filth of sin. I'm going to pluck them out of that and build me a place out of them. God's redeeming man out of sin and out of filth and He's making him a place to dwell inside of them. A habitation of God through the Spirit. And now if God's calling mighty, and if God's calling wise, and the righteous, then there'd be some glory for man there, wouldn't there? But the Bible says, and now preacher, it's up to man to do what he wants to do. And if he wants to, he can believe it, and if he don't, he can reject it. Well, let's see. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So God's saying here, look, brethren, you see the calling that you got? The invitation that God gave to you, the plucking you out of sin, the mighty and the noble of this world, They've not received that. Listen. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. You know what God did? God chose the lowest and the least and the most ignorant and the most backwards, the most wicked and the most evil. Paul said, I was the chiefest of sinners and yet God chose to show me mercy. God chose to save these and you know what He done? He took the dumbest and the most ignorant and unlearned men that there was in Jesus' day, and He stood them up before the, the lawyers and the Pharisees and the scribes, and He confounded them with the Word of God. And He does the same thing today. He takes the weak and the base and the ignorant. You tell me I'm ignorant. You've not told me anything I didn't know already. But God chose the weak and the beggarly to confound the wise and the mighty. God chose the little and the nothing to bring to naught things that are... Why, preacher, none of this has even happened. I know it hadn't happened in David's day either. God said, David, you're going to be dead and gone. God chose things that were not and brought to naught the things that are. So, let's go back. We'll finish. I'm sorry. He shall build me a house, and I will establish His throne forever. I will be His Father, and He shall be my Son. I will not take mercy away from Him, as I took from Him that was before thee. So who's that? Who was before David? Saul was before David. What happened to Saul? 
Saul would not obey the Word of God. When the Word of God came by, Saul would not repent. And God withdrew His power from Saul. And the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord departed and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. God withdrew from Saul and God said, Saul, I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to cut your boys off and I'm going to cut your house off. And there's not going to be any left to take over the throne when you die. I'm going to do away with you. Now when God says, I'm going to do away with you, who's going to oppose that? We don't have any idea in this country what it's like to really be under a king. You can see glimpses of it over in Saudi Arabia. You remember that story about that reporter? He's going to report and throw down on the government. And he went into an embassy and they cut him into pieces and that was the end of that. I tell you the king, Nebuchadnezzar, when he was in authority, he set up whoever pleased him. And he cut down whoever he wanted to cut down. He had killed whoever he wanted killed. He was the supreme authority. Well, friends, God is the supreme authority. But you know what I've got? I've got promise. God's not going to withdraw from Jesus. Those that are in Jesus, they're eternally secure. God has. He has wrought a kingdom and a salvation that's certain that's sure, that's steadfast. And he don't say, Joseph, you need to go out and do this in order to secure this salvation. He said, David, you listen to me. I'm going to secure this. I'm going to build it. I'm going to establish it. And you can rest in my word. God saved me. And it ain't anchored in me. It's anchored in a work that God done. And friends, the Bible says that we're in the Lord's hands. No man can pluck them out of my hand. And then He's in the Father's hand, and none's greater than the Father. Secure, certain, steadfast. But I will settle Him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and His throne shall be established forevermore. Authority and redemption that never ceases. So that's why in Hebrews, He said He's able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by Him. He has been established. And God, who's the one that had to be pleased? God was the one that we had done wrong. God was the one that we had rebelled against. God said, this man... My son, I'm well pleased in him. And if you'll come through him, I'll accept you. And his kingdom's established. So what's David going to say to this? And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Now that's a good question. What had David done to be brought to the place that he was? And my God, if we're saved, 
What can I take credit for in that work? What can I say that I've done? I've said this many times and it's just, it's just the truth, the simple truth. The only thing I have on my manifest to take credit for is sin and rebellion and rejection and self-willedness and pride and ungodliness. That's the only thing I can credit myself for. Who am I? I tell you, I'm the least. Paul said the chiefest of sinners. And yet, this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God. For thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come. So David says, Lord, you've brought me here. You've brought me from the sheep coat. You've brought me from the clutches of the devil and you've brought me from sin, and you've put me in your kingdom, you've allowed me to be a part of your house and your family, you've established your son as my Savior, you've brought me this far. But boy, it goes a lot farther than that. He says, you've spoke about my future way after me. You've given me promise way down the road. Well, you know what we have today? We've got a promise for today. We've got a promise that if we wake up in the morning, God will be with us. And He'll be with us always, even to the end of the world. We've got promise that we can rest in Him today and tomorrow. We've got promise of a secure salvation today and tomorrow. And God's brought us thus far in life through trouble through suffering, through affliction, through doubt and through sin. God's allowed us to be where we are today by His abundant love and grace for us. But He spoke a great while off also that when it comes time, David, for you to die, I'm still going to be blessing your house. Did He not promise us that when it's time for us to leave here, we can dwell with Him eternally in the heavens. He spoke for me today. I've got a word to read today and be blessed. But boy, when it comes time for this man to fold his arms up and die and to leave this world and the promise for today don't matter anymore, I'm dying and leaving here. That we know that when our earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolved, we have a building of God, eternal in the heavens. Now, how far ahead is that? Solomon here, and Solomon be the king. God may have been speaking 40, 50 years ahead from the day that David wrote that down. How far ahead do you want to go? In eternity. A thousand years down the line? Ten thousand years? Twenty thousand years? In eternity there is no end. There is no time. And the promise, the great while to come, God's promised us that today and forevermore. And has regarded me according to the state of a man of high decree, O Lord. David says, you've looked at me like I was somebody. Boy, that's good, ain't it? Ain't it good when somebody treats you like you're somebody? Ain't it bad when people won't treat you with respect? But now here's somebody. You know what's even better? 
When somebody that you see and that in your opinion and in your view is so much greater than you are, is so much above you, whether monetarily or with power, and they take the time to come and be friendly to you and treat you like you're somebody. Now here's David. Here's the little shepherd that's out following the sheep around and he says, God, you spoke to me like I'm somebody that matters. Well, David was somebody that matters. He was because God spoke to him and brought him there. Friends, if God hadn't, David would have died following the sheep. And if God hadn't spoke to Paul, he would have died in sin and rebellion. And if God hadn't wrought in us, we would have died in the same place. But God deals with us as sons. I'm just going to say this and we'll hush. You don't read daughters very much in the New Testament. And that's not sexist as our world would say today. In the day that this was written, the daughters didn't have an inheritance among the family. The daughters weren't thought highly of. When it come time to be married, they sold the daughters to those that they were marrying for profit. They were very much secondary citizens. But you know, God says, and it's there, it's in Ephesians, or no, it's in Galatians. God says male or female, bond or free, Greek or Jew, we're all one in Christ Jesus and we're all sons. I tell you, God, when He looks, He's not looking on basis of whether I'm of the natural seed of Abraham and David or not. He's not looking to see whether I'm a man or a woman. He's not looking to see what family I'm from. He's not looking to see what kind of money's in my bank account or whether I'm just an old servant boy working out in the field. God says, when I choose you, you're a son just like everybody else is. He treats you as He would His own Son, Jesus Christ. That's all that's on our heart. I hope we've been a help to you.